0: there's an energy level that you need with your, your athletes. And to maintain that is the primary thing is a relationship with them. It's about checking in with them, seeing how they're doing, you know, how their day is going, how their training's going, uh, what support they need from us, etc. And if you do not do that on a regular basis, then uh, you know, how, how connected they are with your brand will start to dissipate until they will find another brand or they'll, you'll get that, you know, email that says, Hey, it's not really working for me. Uh, I, I want to move away from this kind of thing.
1: Welcome to the barb podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao. And this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to Rowan Minion a former research scientist turned entrepreneur who today serves as the founder and CEO of supplement company Blonix. In our conversation, Rowan gives me the inside scoop on what he learned about supplements while working in a university lab, along with what he calls the single most underrated tool for recovery and performance across sports. We also talk about how supplements and fitness itself is marketed online and where consumers should look to cut through the fluff both online and in person. Also, I wanted to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listened to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Bar Bend podcast in your app of choice. Now let's get to it. Rowan, thanks so much for joining us today. We're recording this at the end of 2019, looking forward to 2020. I know the CrossFit space is, has been an arena you and your company have been very big on for the past few years. What do you think of a lot of the changes that occurred in 2019 in CrossFit and the CrossFit games? And what are you looking forward to in that space heading into 2020?
0: Great. Uh, Yeah, David, thanks for having me first of all. Um, Great question. I think uh, CrossFit in 2019 has gone through uh, a lot of changes. Uh, Greg Glassman coming in and especially on the uh, competitive side with the CrossFit Games has really shaken things up with the Open and uh, the way people can qualify for the CrossFit Games. I think a lot of people will be looking in this next year about where that settles and what happens. I know us as a company, as you said, being really focused on uh, the CrossFit space and and CrossFit athletes, we are really interested in where that's going to go, what that means for the competitive side of it. There are a lot of uh, athletes that we work with who, you know, games athletes uh, of the future and the and current, et cetera, and, and they, they you know, want to know what happens with them and, and their careers too. But I think a lot of people, including affiliate owners, um, uh, athletes uh, at any level, and obviously, businesses that are in that space, they're really going to be looking to see where this all settles.
1: Now, as a company that's focused a lot, a supplement company that's focused a lot on the CrossFit community and CrossFit athletes as brand ambassadors and a target market, is this something that has made you kind of reevaluate where your focus is and the audience and communities you're focusing on marketing your products to and selling your products to?
0: Uh uh, it has. Um, now, whether it's a case of the changes being made as caused that or just where we are as a company, um, uh, it's kind of a bit of both. Um, but in terms of those changes, it definitely, you know, with uncertainty in the market and especially being a, a niche focused company like, as we are, um, when you see your niche going through some changes and uncertainty, you definitely need to start thinking about uh, the alternatives in that. And that's exactly what we've been doing. So, uh, our focus right now has been on looking at other athletic markets and how our supplements and sports nutrition kind of products fit in that space.
1: Now, not to pry too much into anything that's kind of proprietary or secret knowledge right now, but you know, outside the CrossFit community, what are some of these other spaces, groups, potentially passionate athletic audiences that you'd like to focus in a little bit more on?
0: Well, absolutely. I, I think um, if I take it back a bit, uh, firstly, having uh, the, maybe a question of how do you actually transition for such a niche. This is a really interesting topic for me. Is is if you start in a niche uh, in a niche market like the CrossFit market, how do you then, uh, when t- the time comes, expand out of that? You know, you 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 can really embed yourself in a market. And uh, the first thing we needed to start thinking about is uh, is how how do we uh, build our relationship with these other markets. Uh, I'll give you an example. Road road cycling is one of these markets. It's a really, uh, very quickly growing market. A lot of people say it's the the modern age equivalent of golf uh, with uh, aging athletes, etc. cetera. Um, but how do we communicate and, and build relationships with that market when we're so ingrained with the CrossFit market? Um, so the first thing that we did uh, is start to look at what commonalities there are uh, in these other sports markets, not just road cyclists. Uh, So uh, one thing about CrossFit and the CrossFit market is this real um, drive for an athlete, having an athletic ambition. Uh, It's very, very well uh, tuned in for that. If you're a CrossFit athlete, it doesn't matter what level you're at, you have some form of ambition, uh, whether that's doing a muscle-up or uh, even squatting below parallel is uh, when people uh, tend to start off doing CrossFit. Or or when they've been doing
1: it for a while, like yours truly, and the mobility just isn't there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there's, we always we all have our uh, our goats on that kind of stuff. I think, um, and so it's having that athletic ambition is very much in CrossFit. So we then started to think about how do we translate that into other sports, and then start to talk in that language that basically transcends the the different uh, sport types.
1: What are some of the challenges that you think businesses in the CrossFit space are facing right now? with the changes in regional structure and CrossFit game structure and really a a pulling back of resources from CrossFit HQ as far as uh, you know raw you can call it manpower resources invested in in CrossFit games media.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's an interesting one. Um I, I think the main thing, let's talk about the media side first. I think that uh, is going to really change uh, who who the influencers are. And that's a big one. Influencer marketing is something that has really risen to the top in in the CrossFit world. And the people, uh, the personalities of today um, have much bigger sway with their market, market audiences. You look at uh, Brooke Entz as a and um, Brooke Wells are, are two uh, great athletes for that, where uh, back when we started in 2012-13 and we worked with some of the top level athletes at the time, and they just didn't really have that, that traction because CrossFit wasn't as well known. And so I think that will be a big one, a challenge for, for where that influence actually is. And as a brand, we kind of start to think, well, if these athletes – uh, aren't as visible. How how valuable are they are they to us? Or the ones that figure out other ways to be visible. And obviously the the CrossFit media channel, social media, especially, um, they had really work, That was a really great avenue for these guys to build their profiles. So I think on that side. Now in terms of the other question you had about the the challenge that companies like ours we face with all this all of these change changes. I think the biggest one is uh, the CrossFit Games was such a um, a routine uh, promotional kind of platform for us and a lot of other brands. Uh, we knew how it worked. Uh, you know, we, we knew what the open would do and, and how to manage uh, things like social media and interaction with the community around the open. Um, and then the regional structure, uh, you saw the same brands at regionals and we had the same format and the same way we approached it, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and then into the games as well. Like, uh, you knew, you, you, and that, that won't change too much, I think around the games. Um, but definitely having the sanctional events, it's renegotiating, um, you know, the contracts on and, and value and how you manage them is there's a lot of uncertainty around the format of the events. Um, so figuring that that stuff out is definitely a big one. Yeah. I think that that's the primary thing is it's more the structure and where and how our promotion works within uh, within the, the event structure now.
1: I want to talk about influencer marketing for a second and and this is something that you'll hear a lot about on every financial journalism talk show and podcast but I want to keep it specific to the fitness industry I know you're someone with a lot of interests even outside the fitness industry we've talked about some of these you know off camera so to speak or off the mic but specifically in the fitness industry because it seems to be its own beast influencer marketing. Working with influencers to leverage their their reach, especially on social media, to advertise products. I mean, that's what it boils down to. But it's oftentimes, I think, a little more nuanced than that, especially when brands are approaching influencers in this space. How do you, as a brand, and you know, Blonix is 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 a known quantity in the CrossFit space, but it's not the largest supplement company. In, in the world, you know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. a household name to necessarily every single person. When you're approaching an influencer, like, how do you negotiate with them to get them on board, to convince them your products are worth promoting? How do you neg- Are you negotiating with agents? Are you negotiating with them directly? What does that process look like? Cause I think a lot of folks at home aren't even necessarily aware of how some of these deals get done. So how does the sausage get made there?
0: I I think that's a great question Um, and I can only speak uh, from us as a brand, Blonix. I I think the primary thing is it comes down to your strategy for approaching. And I've seen a lot of different strategies in ways to acquire um, ambassadors and also the types of ambassadors, ambassadors that you go after. Um, for us, uh, we're very kind of uh, key to our uh, core to our like marketing and our approach. And one of our, our pillars, if you, if you like, uh, as a brand is integrity. And to do that, the, the first thing we do is we tend to approach people uh, who already use our products, so uh, we look at our existing community, people who know our products know the brand and have a true and honest um, love for our products and what we do and We focus primarily on them, so it 's interesting because we had a lot of top level athletes in our in our roster. Um, and a lot of those athletes we brought them on because of the, who they were and 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 their um, their following etc and they started to work with them and, and it took a bit of time to build a relationship and i feel that's i feel that is actually the best way to do it it's firstly to uh, you know kind of understand where they are in your ecosystem so if they are uh, people who already use your products that's definitely the first p- i think that's the first people you should go go with they they already know your brand they Tried your product. They have um, a real idea for what you stand for, and that that will be much truer. It'll be a real true endorsement, which I think uh, a lot of people pick up on nowadays. I actually think because of the success of influencer marketing, how people view influencer marketing is changing slightly. There's a lot of people. Um, you talk. You were asking about agents before, and uh, how you go about uh, negotiating. You know, with these with influencers. The top level influencers that have big followings, you're talking half a million plus followers on, say, uh, Instagram as a benchmark there. Um, you Likelihood is that you will go through an agent and it, it will very much be pay to play. Uh, they'll come up with a figure. Uh, you meet with them, build a, a bit of a superficial relationship with them. It's more around a contract um, and then you go from there and they'll, they'll promote your brand out there. And that's the way it's going. Um, a lot of people are creating great careers out of the, that, that space and the influencer space. Um, I think a lot of brands, and this is something we actually learned from Lululemon, a, a local company. They have a really interesting approach to influencer marketing and it's something we learned from them. Uh, they they uh, have a policy of not paying any athletes to simply uh, promote their brand. They only pay athletes to, uh, to kind of be a part of their brand. So if they're out there representing them, um, maybe at, at a talk, uh, a TED talk or something like that, and they would bring them on and involve them in that. Um, and that's how they would use that person there. Um, and they use very grassroots uh, ambassadors and people who are, are out there in the fitness community and having this very small sphere of influence. Um, And they found real traction in that. And I believe Vega, uh, another supplement brand, a very successful supplement brand, has also used that. Um, And I'm much more a believer in that. Um, It's about knowing your immediate community and building that community and then basically empowering them to really influence. And I think that uh, grass-level influence is much, personally, I think it's much more valuable. It's also uh, more fun and better to manage in my experience too.
1: So you mentioned athletes who are already using your products are your primary focus or I say should say your top level focus when it comes to recruiting brand ambassadors. How do you figure out if an athlete's already using your product if they're not actively promoting it? Are you like snooping and and expanding in on Instagram photos to see in like the back of someone's kitchen or in their gym bag like out of focus just to the side of the frame if you see like a Blonix container or something like that? Like what's that process like?
0: Absolutely. That's actually a big part of it. I think, uh, when, when we a the brand and, and our team, uh, spend actually a lot of time out there on social media and, uh, emailing and also just looking at our, uh, our order lists that come through, you know, and looking for people and looking and, and, uh, seeing who they are we actually on a regular basis uh, try and reach out to our customers and just say hey how things going what do you think of our products and uh, you you get a a dialogue going and then uh, you you think these people are really really interesting and cool they got a really interesting story and then we build on it that way and uh, I think it brings people a lot closer to your brand they get they have a natural personality to work with on the brand side of it Um, and also we kind of you really get to vet them and, and understand what they're about before you you know start working with them on the influencer side. And I actually think that protects your brand, especially if you really want to hold your reputation as you go out there. You, you can pick and choose the right people.
1: Would you call this the date-before-you-marry strategy of influencer marketing?
0: Absolutely. yeah. It it is very much like a dating process. uh, The whole thing, in my opinion, I think you should treat it that way. You know, you really should get to know the the influencers that you use. I mean, they're out there effectively part of your marketing team. And if you do it correctly, really get to know them, uh, you know, have a successful date, as it were, then the promotion uh, that you get will be will be fantastic and do really well for your brand.
1: All right. To continue the dating analogy, which may be the worst decision I've made on this podcast. <laughs> have you ever been ghosted by an influencer? And also, have you ever had to break up acrimoniously with an influencer?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, and it happens, um, you know, it happens relatively frequently. Uh, and, and it has done throughout the whole uh, lifetime of Blonix the last uh, you know, nine years now. I think it's a case of you know people people change uh, people go through different scenarios and situations in their life. We have various reasons for it uh, in terms of um, you know especially people who are good athletes. uh, They if they get injured or they lose interest in their sport or they're not doing very well, they tend to recede a bit. You know, and uh, often that comes with ghosting of your sponsors because you're not sure. Um, you know, what to say to them or, or you think you're letting them down effectively. Um, and we see that at top level as well. There's, uh, um, you know, Red Bull, for example, there was a great documentary, uh, Mark McMorris, who's a, a fantastic snowboarder, I'm a big fan of his. And he had a, a horrific injury and was out for almost a year, a Red Bull athlete. And Red Bull stuck with him through that process where he thought they wouldn't. I think that's the classic um, uh, example of something that happens with an athlete when they don't feel like they're performing that well. Um, also, you know, there's another one, um, and you have to be, take it on the chin for yourself. If you don't manage your, uh, athletes correctly and maintain your, uh, your relationship with them, then things will start to uh, deteriorate. You know, they, over time, they, there's only, there's an energy level that you need with your, your athletes. And to maintain that is the primary thing is a relationship with them. It's about, Checking in with them, seeing how they're doing, you know how their day is going, how their training's going, uh, what support they need from us, etc. And if you do not do that on a regular basis, then uh, you know how how connected they are with your brand will start to dissipate until they will find another brand, or they'll you'll get that you know email that says, "Hey, it's not really working for me. Uh, I, I want to move away from this kind of thing." So that's something that we've actually learned the hard way. On that is uh, you, it's not just. Here is here's some product. Here's some support. Uh, here's you know, and and post about us on social media, and then let them go, and they'll work wonders for you. It has to be continual two way communication. Otherwise, you you do get ghosted on that on that uh, dating scene. I want
1: to change the the subject a bit here because, in addition to running a supplement company, you have a pretty significant background in uh, sports science uh, and supplementation research. And look, we. Anyone listening to this podcast has seen a supplement ad before, right? We get bombarded with a lot of them, and it can be difficult to choose between supplements on the market. So instead of asking you the question that I think I've asked too often in the past of people in the industry, like, oh, what are your favorite supplements, et cetera, I want to learn a a little bit more about your background and experiences on the other side of the industry, industry actually formulating and researching supplements. It's something that I'm always interested in learning more about and something that I think a lot of even very active athletes and supplement purchasers and supplement consumers don't necessarily know. The research that goes into these supplements, finding out what's actually effective, finding out what probably isn't that effective, how did you get involved in that aspect of the industry pre Blonix? And then I have some more specific questions kind of about your experiences there.
0: Absolutely. This is actually a really interesting story because I, I kind of fell into it. Um, I, I was in Glasgow in Scotland studying exercise physiology at the time and it was a purely an interesting, uh, I was an athlete at the time. I was a, a soccer player at the university there and, uh, I managed to get a work placement out in the U S in at Iowa state university. And my real plan was to go out there and play for the soccer team for a, for a year um, and I managed to get a job and I didn't actually know what it was doing. Uh, it was, I knew it was uh, with a research department and they, it was an, it was actually an animal, um, uh, what was it, it was like animal science kind of department there. And I got out there and, uh, was picked up in a, in a, a big Lexus SUV by this crazy white haired science looking guy uh, who really had no idea why I was there. It literally got me pretty much from the airport and he said, so I don't really remember signing up for this, uh, uh, you know, this work placement here, but we'll figure out some things for you to do. And he whisked me out to his uh, um, research labs. They were actually on the, uh, the research park at the university. And what I didn't realize at the time is he was the, the, the crazy scientist who had discovered HMB, which is one of the, the main ingredients that we sell. But it was a huge supplement back in the, the – this is the very late 90s. Um, it was up there with creatine at the time. Um, so, you know, he sat me down he said, so, you know, we've, we've just made a lot of money from, uh, from selling this HMB supplement. And what we're going to do now is we're going to regulate the market. So we're going to start testing all of these big brands that sell, uh, our, our products with our ingredient in it and, uh, and make sure that they're actually doing it correctly. So, uh, one of the jobs that I had had there was to run testing on, um, on these, these These products. And it was uh, EAS and Twin Labs at the time, huge behemoth companies that had grown out of pretty much nothing uh, um, on the back of creatine primarily. And we started looking at the supplements. And the the objective was to really make sure that the, the quality of HMB out there was maintained. And the first thing we found is that a lot of these companies were cutting corners. And it was really interesting to see. So the, the dosage wasn't quite what they said on the label, um, uh, in most, in, in a lot of cases, um, which was a really interesting thing. And in some cases, they actually wouldn't even put HMB in there, and we had to to go uh, through the the courts to try and change that that situation, kind of thing, to protect our brand. So that was how I fell into it. Um, and the, the years after that, I re- what I realized is, firstly, it's a very expensive thing to do. Uh, to run studies on on dietary supplements. Uh, there's a lot of ethical uh, considerations because you're doing you know uh, studies by f- feeding uh, humans. And there's a lot of paperwork to do there. There's a lot of money involved in that. Um, but also at the same time, I started to realize that the value of doing supplements, uh, especially for companies who would fund them, was actually going down and down because marketing was becoming such a big thing in the, in the supplement space there. So uh, from then, I uh, did all that work and regulatory work there um, for a few years. And then I, I kind of moved away from it a little bit. I actually uh, went from there. I went finished my degree uh, in, uh, in exercise physiology, and I went into sleep medicine after that. Um, but then I got to, to manage sleep labs then um, and ran, again, human studies on on supplementation uh, in sleep and things like that there. So it was pretty interesting.
1: I want to talk about sleep for a second. This is not something I was expecting to talk about on this podcast, but it comes up on a lot of podcasts when I talk to people who are in uh, the research space or involved in the research space of human performance. Sleep, we, we all we all sleep. Literally everyone sleeps. It's necessary for life, but it's just so underrated, and and it's something that I think a lot of athletes will go their entire performance career without really spending a lot of time thinking about what do you think are the most underrated components of getting a good night's sleep as it pertains to athletic, athletic performance? And what are some of the things you learned from your time in a sleep lab that might surprise a lot of athletes who are looking to utilize sleep for performance?
0: I think the primary thing is um, that you need to keep your sleep very regular. That's the absolute primary thing that I learned um, through working in a sleep lab. Firstly, the importance of it in recovery. Uh, The biggest thing, if I can say one message to people about sleep uh, and athletic performance, 50% of your growth hormone, which is the best recovery uh, hormone in your body, it will cause most of your recovery to to activate and happen. Most of that release, 50% of it is released through the first half of your sleep duration. So the first four hours as you go into deep sleep through the night. And if you are not getting that sleep, you are simply not going to recover as well. It is the most important thing I think all athletes should, should know. How do you make sure you get good quality sleep? That comes down to keeping it regular. And they call it sleep hygiene. Uh, there's a lot more to it than this. But the primary thing is going to bed at exactly the same time and waking up exactly the same time every single night. Uh, it will really regulate your sleep cycle and in your hormone cycles there, especially with the growth hormone.
1: What are some other tips that you maybe you personally, as a, as an athlete and someone I know who's still very very much trying to tune in your own performance? What are some other things you might do to improve your rest and recovery? Could be related to sleep. Um, could be more general.
0: Right. Uh, well, let's maybe let's start uh, continue on sleep very briefly. Yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, one thing uh, with with sleep as well, and this is going, uh, continuing on the sleep hygiene uh, front. There is is Make sure that you don't have any sleep issues. They are the hardest things to, to diagnose, and especially with athletes, because uh, you think, let's say sleep apnea. Sleep apnea is uh, the number one cause of disruptive sleep in, uh, in the whole of North America, and it's a big issue. Um, sleep apnea caused primarily by people who are obese and carry that extra body weight that, uh, that weighs down their airways and closes their airways, but athletes also have that issue because they have extra muscle tissue. So you will find that a lot of athletes actually do have snoring issues and uh, sleep apnea issues. So the suggestion I have with anybody is if they are having a hard time sleeping and don't really feel they sleep enough, even though they're getting the hours in as an athlete, is to start looking at uh, getting a sleep study done. They're not too difficult to get done. And they can definitely benefit you. So it's definitely worth getting one done and making sure there's no issue with uh, like obstructively in your airways before you sleep. So that's a primary, again, uh, continuing on on just to make sure you are getting that recovery through sleep and there's no issues there definitely worth your time to get a quick a quick uh, sleep study done on
1: that it can definitely be difficult i I will say it can definitely be difficult to to notice these sleep issues maybe if you don't sleep with a partner or if your partner is a very deep sleeper sleep issues are going to be tough to diagnose because you're not conscious during the period where you would notice these things right so you kind of have to make some inferences and and it it can be very 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 difficult to self-diagnose
0: Absolutely. It, it's, it's the biggest issue, I think, in, uh, in modern medicine now. Uh, you know, we're, uh, we're living longer, we're uh, you know, getting older, and there's a lot more obesity, and it's these secondary things uh, like sleep apnea that are actually starting to really impact people. Uh, heart disease is still the number one, um, uh, cardiovascular disease is still the number one cause of death, and a massive risk factor of that is sleep problems. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it is, it's very difficult, like you said, if you do not, and even if you have a partner, they are going to be asleep most of the time. And and it's very easy to sleep through snoring for a a lot of people. So you don't even get that diagnosis, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
1: all right what about maybe moving those are fantastic points by the way and i'm really glad we dove into this a little bit because sleep is something that's very important so if you were listening to this for takeaways about the the secret world of research supplementation and you leave us some great sleep tips well i mean i'll call that a win but beyond sleep uh, and maybe even beyond supplementation what are some other aspects of recovery that you like to encourage people to focus on or maybe focus on specifically yourself
0: Yeah. um, So this is, this comes from being an athlete for uh, most of my life uh, to the point where I would train myself to sickness on a regular basis. And I know there's a lot of people who, who do overtrain. Uh, I suffered it from a lot, a lot. I would have two hour training sessions on every day playing soccer and then weight training and and all these other things. So uh, the biggest one is know how to take proper downtime. And I think this is a really huge one in the CrossFit market where Downtime for a lot of people means active recovery, so they go out and they'll run a a light uh, 1k, they'll have a light 1k row, and they go for a a couple of k run or something like that, and see that as a a recovery day. It's not a recovery day. You need to really let your whole body uh, recover by complete inactivity, Um, even stretching, etc. You need to give your your tissues time to actually go through that uh, recovery process. Think of an injury. You don't actively recover from an injury until uh, you're ready to actively recover from it. And you need to take that same approach to that. Um, or be aware of the signs of overtraining is another big one. Um, if you are feeling run down, you're not sleeping properly, um, you're getting a, more colds, etc., cetera, than, than normal, um, anything like that, then you do need to dial back your training. And it can be seasonal. It can be through uh, – here's a great example, and we studied this um, – back in Glasgow is looking at if you have uh, high stress at work, it will actually carry over into your training and your stress hormones will be high, which means you're very likely that you'll overtrain. And I think that is a great tip. People don't realize the stress they have at work, even though it's completely mental and it's nothing to do with your physical performance, really does carry over into your uh, exercise performance. So um, really kind of dial, dial that, that back. Be, be wary. I think it's being mindful of the, the stress that you have in your life elsewhere and what that can lead to in, uh, in terms of, of overtraining.
1: Very interesting. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask what is coming up for you and for Blonix. Uh, any new um, exciting areas of research that you think might be uh, might result in in products and supplements that you can get excited about in the near future? But maybe the research isn't quite there yet, or it's something that's going to take a little bit of time to hit the
0: market. Well, oh, great question. Uh, I'm glad because I can then, uh, I can now shoehorn in a little bit of a, a product plug and then I'll talk more about a few things that I think are coming into the market. Um, I think uh, we're kind of placing a bet on uh, egg white protein making a, a bit of a comeback here. I think uh, that the whole market in terms of nutrition is is moving away from highly processed foods, yet the protein market currently is in a space where it's going to have a hard time getting away from processed products. Whey protein is very highly processed. And then the, the plant proteins that are um, popular right now are also, there's a lot of chemical processing that goes on in that. So uh, I think we're making a play towards the cleaner proteins and uh, egg, egg white protein is is one of them. Um, and I think the technology is starting to come into that, the market to improve the quality of egg white proteins now. Uh, one that we use is a uh, filtering technology that takes the sulfur out of the egg. So it gets rid of the eggy taste of it, for example. So I think there's a move there. And I think the pro- the protein market is about to shift a little bit. We're kind of seeing that change there. Um, the other one is just a real food uh, play. And this is something that we're doing as a, a company. Uh, where we're traditionally a supplement company, uh, the way we we see ourselves is much more a company that supports athletes with uh, everything outside of their three meals a day. Um, and that, that's our job and our focus. And it does—it means that our product development isn't restricted. And something that we have in the hopper right now, which I'm really excited about, is, is bringing out snack packs. Uh, so you talk about uh, dried fruit and nuts and, and even meat, uh, like a jerky-type meat on there. But we're really going to focus on building the products for different athlete types uh, based on macros um, so we have one which is a, a higher protein and lower on the carbohydrate and that would be much more for a power athlete and then another one which is higher on the, the carbohydrate uh, side of things which would be much more for an endurance athlete. And I feel like the food, the, the kind of sports nutrition market is going to shift a little bit towards that more kind of catered approach depending on uh, what type of athlete that you are.
1: Excellent. Oh, uh, Rowan, where is the best place for people to keep up to date with uh, you personally and the work you do across the fitness space?
0: Absolutely. So uh, our website is www.blonix.com. And uh, you can look me up on uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to to check into us and our business uh, offerings. We we tend to post a lot of our business news and what we do uh, there. And you can look up Blonix and you'll see me attached to the company as one of the employees. there.
1: Well, fantastic. I really do appreciate you taking the time. It's always a pleasure to chat and I hope we get to it again in the near future.
0: Appreciate it. Have fun.